welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Hello, welcome back. I hope you caught the previous episode with Professor Genevieve Majou, where we discussed the three ingredients of optimal parenting, structure and involvement provided in an autonomy supportive way. If you missed it, go there first at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash autonomy, A-U-T-O-N-O-M-Y. This week we discuss what to do when children won't listen, how to address ongoing problems, more on providing structure and enforcing limits in an autonomy supportive manner, and the difference between psychological and behavioural control. Here's the interview. Something I find hardest at the moment is my son gets very involved in his play. So if I were to listen to his perspective, um, it's, it's all about this, this wonderful game he's playing. And then it can be difficult to change the topic to the shoes on the floor. Um, and when I do, he loses interest because it's not the game anymore. Um, right. any advice? He's, he's four. He's four, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, when they're four years old, often it's it's harder to change the topic, so it is harder for them to, to listen to us. Um, I think we can listen to their perspective, but we don't necessarily have to, um, to uh, listen forever. Okay, so after a while, we can set limits more clearly and we can uh, come closer to them and and point to the shoes. Or there's another way that we can, let's say, send a note. So there's uh, different ways to uh, change the mood. So instead of arguing with them, we can send, a let's say, a paper plane with the instruction uh, telling them to pick up stuff. Um, Of course, we can't always uh, do that. Uh, So when we do... um, we do want our kids to uh, follow uh, rules or if we want them to pick up different things, we, we have, it is a difficult questions because, question because every family is different. So I think what you need to ask yourself is really, is, is this really important for me, uh, for him to come and pick up the shoes? And, and so the first decision that we need to make is, is that rule important for me to enforce? Yeah. And once, I've made that decision. Once I decide that it is important for me and I have expectations about this rule, then I need to enforce it. Um, and I guess your next question will be, how do I enforce it? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so it is, so we'll, we'll take an example of, of, uh, of, let's say there's floor, uh, there's shoes all over the floor. There's toys all over the floor. Um, the first thing I, I'd like to say is that it's easier for kids to accept rules that are, um, more easily justified by parents. So, uh, parents do need to pick their battles. Uh, so what I mean by that is that, uh, often if we have a rule, we can't expect children to just obey whatever we ask them to do. Um, so they will, they will at times, um, disobey. They will at times not follow the rules. So we do have to be ready to enforce the rules. So we do have to be ready to make them do uh, what we ask them to do. Um, but before we do that, we try to use autonomy supportive behaviors first. So to describe the problem, uh, let's say there's toys everywhere. We can then describe uh, our feelings about it um, in a very um, uh, short way. Let's say uh, 
uh, it feels discouraged to see the house like that. And at this point, we kind of need to decide if the rule is important for us or not, uh, which because if it's not that important, we can say something like it sure would be nice for the house to be clean today for older kids, let's say for young kids, uh, I think it's important to uh, clearly state our expectations. So uh, let's say he, he's not listening or he's not looking at the shoes. Uh, we can we can sit down beside the, the, the child and say, look at the shoes and, and direct the attention towards the shoes and state our expectations and give information. We can't we can walk uh, with shoes everywhere. Uh, it's, impo it's important to pick them up because someone might get hurt. Mm -hmm. Do you want to uh, help me pick them up now or do you want to pick them up after your game, let's say? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we try to give them the choice of when they want to do. Of course, they're going to say after my game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so after yeah. So after the game, uh, if they're not getting up or if they're not uh, initiating the action, then we, we kind of have to understand that at this point, they don't necessarily understand that it's very important to you and they don't necessarily um have the self-regulatory capacities to actually initiate the action. So we need to be there to help them do it. So children are learning and it is, uh, some, it is hard to gather one's energy to get up and clean up. Uh, so the goal here is to not to punish them, but to help them uh, achieve the goal. Yeah. So the parent can and say, okay, time's up. Uh, we agreed that uh, you can clean, that it's time to clean. We can, ex and if the child uh, ignores us, let's say, we can express our feelings and say something like, I don't like to be ignored like that. It's time to clean up. Mm -hmm. And at this point, the child will probably not listen if, if you've not enforced the rule before. Mm -hmm. So we can provide, um, we can provide, offer assistance so we can say, how can I help you um, to to clean up? Do you want me to put music? Do you want me to pick up a few with you? Uh, because the point is not to punish them. The point is to solve the problem. So, so parents need to focus on the problem and act in a way that um, expects the child to obey or to, to comply and to help you solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And so just simply by directing the child's attention towards the future, uh, often children will see that that is what it is expected of them. So, and if the child is completely ignoring you, and then you can direct the attention by just putting your your um, your arm. Uh, beside him and slowly guiding him towards the activity. Uh, and I think, or you can take the toy that he's playing away from him until it's cleaned. Mm -hmm. So the, the goal is to, um, we do need to provide constraint or limit uh, to to enforce rules, but we uh, need to do it in a way that's logically linked to what is going on and that the goal is to solve the problem and not to punish the child. So we can help them solve it. We can offer assistance. Uh, but but after a while, we need to 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 put to set the limit and say, well, nothing else is going on or will happen until this this limit or this rule is or this demand is fulfilled, let's say. So if it's important for the parent to clean the shoes at one point, well, the child can be uh, expected to do it before he can play something else. Yeah. I don't know if. It's clear enough. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's that's really, really helpful, actually. 
It's what's hard for parents is that they kind of feel guilty <laughs> to, uh, to, let's say, uh, prevent the child from playing. Uh, and I think that's when they really need to focus or ask themselves whether um, their rule is important for them enough to uh, take those actions with the child. And, and I think that's when uh, we can think about the rules that we have and make sure that uh, rules concern the welfare of others, the child's health and security. Um, anything that will help the child become a competent adult. These are all rules that are more easily enforced because we feel more confident about them. And the rules that concern uh, personal preferences, so let's say the type of music that the child has or the type of drawing that he's doing, uh, that's when maybe we can set back a little bit and let them explore the way that they want to, to explore. Yeah. And also... I would I would say that uh, to be proactive in the way that we set rules. Mm -hmm. So are we do we have um, what are our expectations, let's say, about cleaning up the toys? Is it do we want them to clean after every toy? Do we want uh, after every game? Do we want them to clean uh, after every afternoon or mm -hmm. only on Sunday morning? And, and do the children know about these expectations? Yeah. Do I know? what my rules are. So to, to take a, a moment and, and just realize that often we want something that done now because we're fed up about something, but from the child's perspective, there was no problem. Yeah. So from no problem to you need to clean now, that's a very uh, hard rule to, uh, to um, follow. It's hard to agree for children to when, when it's unexpected like that. So when we have, expectations that is clear that is set up beforehand then it's easier for children to um to actually follow and cooperate and and i would, I would say that sometimes when something is recurrent if a problem comes up often and often we want them to them to do something and they never agree to do it uh, that's when we can go into uh, problem solving which is one of the of the skill that we teach in the parenting course that we are studying. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. And I guess when you decide on these rules, like if you decide that the child should be packing up toys after each time, whenever they move on to a new game, I guess yeah. um, there's the explanation of, of what that limit is and why. Um, but then there's probably the guidance and the coaching that's required to remind them every time they do move on because they probably don't even realize they just, their attention exactly. has switched. Exactly. When you set a rule that's important to you, you need to be re ready to enforce the rule. So, of course, at the beginning, I think the, the mindset is to say, well, children are learning and I have to, I do have to invest some time uh, at the beginning to, uh, to, um, to be there to guide them to follow through with the rules that I've set. Uh, and after a while, it's going to be learned and you can move on to the next rule, you know. So children takes takes energy and and but I think it's an investment I think if you you're there at the beginning and you make sure that you help them uh, solve problems you help them learn the rules then everything's going to go more smoothly afterwards mm, so I guess as the parent sort of 
I guess just accepting that it's going to take time and, and patience and, and continual sort of support initially until they're ready to take the rule on themselves. Exactly. And, and I think there's two parts. There's the part of not forgetting to, to really listen to their perspective and to, to take the, the, their feelings into consideration. But there's also the part, the structuring part, where, uh, if we always let go of our rules, that why would the child listen, you know? Because we're like that too. If you go to a parking, uh, place and, and it's no parking, but you know that there's no rule enforcement and you're, you're busy, you need to go to the pharmacy and, there's no other parking spot and you know this one is available and there you won't get a ticket probably you're gonna break the rule you know Mm -hmm. so so parents can they need to feel that parents mean what they say so if there's a rule parents need to be ready to enforce it they can do so in a way that's um, that's also collaborative. So let's say there's a, a big problem or a, an issue that comes up often. Often this is a, a, a cue that it's time to do some problem solving, like I was saying. Mm-hmm. So let's say... Um, we can problem solving the way it works that children, you sit down with your child when you're not upset and they're not upset and you talk about a situation. So the first step is to just listen to their feelings about it. Uh, And sometimes you can learn things that are surprising. So for example, if, if the the child is never uh, cleaning up their rooms and and you take time to really listen to their perspective, sometimes you're going to learn that they don't have any place to put their toys in or the shelves are too high or uh or they don't have enough time to play in the morning so sometimes you can learn a real challenge that uh, children face that prevent prevents them from um from obeying and and just changing that can make a big difference and after uh the listening to the feeling part uh you can express your feeling uh quickly that it's tiresome let's say to see uh, a household that's so messy and then you go on to uh, just brainstorming about the different ideas and you write them down for for some reason kids love it when we rewrite it we we uh, write things down so we can write all the ideas uh, down and it, at this point you don't judge the idea we just write it everything down so the the child can say well, let's never pick up our toys. <laughs> and then you can write that down. Then you can say, well, uh, let's uh, always uh, put them back right, right after you play with it. And then the, you write that down. And af- afterwards, it's the uh, the part where you select the different uh, options. So the child can say, well, I don't like the part where I have to clean right after I play because it, it's boring. So you can cr- sc- uh, cross that one out. And then you can decide, well, I'm going to cross the one about the fact that you're not going to clean. And after you have a couple of options that you can agree on and once the child agrees on um on a way to solve a problem he's more likely to uh, to to implement that option mm, and i guess for each of those you can explore the outcomes as well so what do you think would happen if if we never cleaned up you know and just explore how that would turn out for everyone and express that yeah. you're 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 crossing it out because you would not be comfortable with that you don't want to be able to not walk around and have to bulldoze everything out of the way as you go 
Yeah, exactly. And the, the simple process of talking about it helps them integrate why there's a rule in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to mention that parents often try to convince uh, children that a rule is important. Mm-hmm. But I think providing what we uh, propose is that providing information about the importance of the rule is sufficient. We don't need to convince them. And um, so so the, um, because p- children have their whole life to argue with us and we have the kitchen to do, we have the cleaning to do, we have uh, all the, we have to go to work, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of things on our minds and they have all the time in the world to, to, to argue with us. Mm-hmm. So, so if we go into the battle of convincing, um, then it, it's not very, uh, it, it gives them um, choices where there's no choice. And I think children need to know when there's a choice and when there's not a choice. So it's not a choice not to uh, hit your sister, for example. You're allowed to be upset with her. You can tell her with words, but not with your fist. And that's, I don't need to convince my child that hitting is not permitted. Mm. Yeah, so this might sort of lead into the difference between psychological psychological control and behavioral control. Is that right? Can you sort of talk about how those two things are different? Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, the... Um, what research shows is that the negative impact of controlling parenting is the most obvious with psychological control. So when parents attempt to control their child's psychological world, like their thoughts and feelings, uh, so techniques such as criticism, uh, guilt inducement, threats, conditional regard, all that have been related to uh, negative outcomes. So it is important, as I mentioned, uh, to let children uh, explore and express strong feelings and and their crazy wishes because strong feelings are present. And sometimes parents are scared of their child's feelings or they're scared of, of what they're exploring. Um, so if they deny their child the opportunity to explore them, the child is stuck with those feelings by himself. Uh, so we can be there. We're, we're strong adults that we can hear them out and we can uh, let them explore it. it they, and there, there'll always be time later on to state our value and to say, uh, well, I believe that violence is not a good option. We can state our value later on, but first we need to listen to them and to to hear their feelings with compassion. And when someone listens with an open heart and compassion, this is when the feelings tend to uh, pass more quickly. So I'll give you an example. And because it's harder to do when the child is saying something that really, really, really bothers us. Mm -hmm. So let's say a child says, I hate my little sister. Often parents try to deny those strong feelings because it's scary to uh, to acknowledge that they might hate each other. Um, and often it's not really true that they hate each other. But at the moment, this is what the child is experiencing. Um, so instead of saying, no, you love your little sister. Uh, remember last time you kissed her and remember yesterday how well you played with her. So instead of saying that and trying to convince the child that he loves his little sister, we can instead respond in an empathic way uh, without judging or evaluating the feeling so the child can can then 
understand his own feeling and reappraise them when he's ready to do so. So, for example, I could say I can change. I can try to change it a little bit if I if I can, but not too much. I can say something like, "Oh, you're really angry at your sister right now," and the child can respond, "No, I hate her." And then the parent can reflect how difficult that feeling must be. So we can say, whoa, you, you hate her, huh? That's, that's difficult. And then having been heard, the child can turn to other things. He can say, it is difficult. She's so hard to live with sometimes. <sighs> But, you know, sometimes she can be fun, too. You know, if, if you listen to the feeling, the, the, the child can move on to other things and to think about all the times that she's not that bad and then a parent can say hmm you seem to have mixed feelings about your little sister sometimes you love to play with her but other times you prefer that she wouldn't disturb all of your toys and then the child can can say that's it that's what it is and then later on um this is actually a true uh, example mm-hmm. um a mom said that to uh, to her son and later on or a couple of weeks after the son came back and said Mom, tell me again about my mixed feelings <laughs> towards my little sister, <laughs> because it helps them. Uh, when you feel heard, uh, you feel understood, the feelings go away quickly. And that's actually one of the basis of psychotherapy. So the, the fact that uh, being heard by someone who's not judgmental, it makes us, uh, it gives us the courage to move on or to deal with those uh, very strong feelings. Sorry, it reminds me also of um, motivational interviewing where the, the harder you push against someone, the harder they push back. Um, and I guess especially in this psychological area where they know best how they feel. Exactly. And, and parents are just so used to, they just want to fix things. We want the best for our children. We want them to be happy. And um, another example is, let's say you go to the zoo and the, the you know that at the zoo there'll be chocolate, there'll be ice cream, there'll be all sorts of fun stuff. And you're buying the tickets and, and your four-year-old is there eating an apple, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then the apple falls on the ground and the child starts crying because she she drops her her apple and the the parent what the typical response will be will be oh don't cry there'll be ice cream there'll be chocolate but the child is right now is upset because she had an apple and she doesn't have it anymore and and she probably feels a little bit uh, klutzy to have dropped it so instead of convincing her that there's no problem and and she'll have so much fun later on uh, to to just take a moment and just reflect the fact that it sucks, you know, to say it's sad. Uh, oh, honey, you, you drop your apple. That that's, that's sad. Mm. You know, you wanted your apple and then you can't take that, that, that last bite. And that's upsetting. I can see that you're upset. Mm. And often the child will just, and a hug will do, you know, and, and the child will feel understood and will feel that uh, you can, you, you believe that she can take these feelings and she can grow from them. Okay, so psychological control we generally avoid because it's trying to force them to feel a way that they don't feel or to get over something that they haven't even got to process yet. Exactly, exactly. But not because strong feelings are allowed. That mean that that doesn't mean that all behaviors are allowed. Uh, so 
even with strong feelings, we can expect uh, children to behave uh, properly. So we do need to set limits on the behavior. So you do have feelings, uh, but the way that you express them, uh, you can control that part. You know, the feelings you can't necessarily control, but you can control the, the, the behavior. So you can, you can feel that you're angry with your sister, tell her with, with your words, not with your fists. So this is when that structure can either be more autonomy supportive or more controlling. And to put that structure more, um, autonomy supportive, we need to be empathic, uh, while providing structure. We need to do it in a informational way and not in a way that's evaluative and we need to try to help the child um, find um, or, or be more included in the, um, in the problem solving that his behavior is creating. Mm. So to take an example of a child who's feeling very angry and is hitting his sister, what would your approach be? Because you want to, yeah, want to control that behavior without necessarily saying that he can't have those feelings. Uh, we can say, I can see you're really angry with your sister. Uh, sisters are not made for hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then you, you, you restrict the behavior. You, you manage, you solve the problem. So really parents need to learn to take action in the way that solves the problem. It's not without blaming, but with, but but uh, making sure that the problematic behavior stops. So the, the goal is, or the focus is to make the behavior stop. So either you restrain the child, you put one child in one room, the other child in the other room. Uh, so you, you act in a way that will solve the problem. And there's different ways um, that parents can take action. They can either remove an object until trust is restored. Uh, and this can happen very quickly. You can, re- uh, let's say my, my toddler is, is a drawing, uh, he's, who is, he's, um, drawing on the table with markers or about to, and I can trust, I, I'm not trusting that he will not do it. And I can take the markers away and just simply say, I'm not, I, I am not sure that you're not going to do it now. You can have the markers when, when I'm confident that you won't draw on the table and his reaction will tell me if I can trust him or not. If he says, uh, Oh, I'm sorry, I won't do it. I'm sorry, mom. I, I can give them back right away. I don't need to punish him. Uh, if he tries again, then it'll take a little longer for me to trust that he's not going to do it. And maybe the markers will stay in my coverage for a little bit more time. Um, but the goal is not to punish. The goal is to prevent the pro- uh, problematic behavior. Another way to react can be to bring the child to another place. Uh, if the child is is having a fit in the supermarket, we can bring the child outside. Uh, we can ask for reparation. So let's say a, a, a sibling really hurt someone. Uh, we Let's say a child is 10 years old and he hit his little sister. Uh, we can ask them, we can reflect the feelings. You must have been really angry with her. Um, now your sister's hurt. What are you, what can we do about it? And, and we don't need to say, what are you going to do about it? You know, it doesn't need to be punitive. It's more like there's a problem. Your sister is hurt. What can we do? And, and we don't necessarily need to force him to apologize. Maybe that's going to be his way to repair, Mm -hmm. but maybe the child will draw a drawing for his little sister and repair. Mm -hmm. And so there's, 
different ways to react to um, to try to get children to um, to to take responsibility for their action. Mm -hmm. So if they break things, if they drop milk on the floor. Um, The, the obvious response can be to to help them clean it up or ask them to clean it up. There's different ways like that. You can stop everything until the child cooperate. Uh, you can let children experience the consequence of their actions. So let's say what I like to do at home is to make sure that at the end of routines, there's time to play. <laughs> so that way children learn that if they, they take responsibility for what they have to do, then they, they have time for themselves. And I think that's a very uh, useful lesson to learn because in life, that's how it is often. If you take responsibility for your chores, that's when you have time to play. So it gives me the opportunity to um, put them in control of their routine. And they're the one who's going to uh, have time to play or not at the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. So it's in a way using similar disciplining strategies, but with a quite a different take. So for example, taking the pen away um, might be quite a natural thing to do. But then it becomes punitive if we then just keep it indefinitely. Um, so it's about restoring that trust before you give it back. Exactly. So there's it, there's a big difference between saying I'm taking your video games away for two weeks, yeah, and just saying right now I need to I need to know that the video games are in the cupboard. Yeah. It's a different outlook. One is there's a problem. I'm fi fixing it like that at this moment, mm -hmm. but maybe you can find another way to fix it and that'd be fine too. Yeah. So it's very uh, having a collaborative approach. And I think the more we see our children as learning and instead of as defiant, mm -hmm. it helps to have this outlook of helping them uh, become uh, better people. And I think by modeling behavior ourselves, uh, often, of course, we can't expect children to um, follow rules that we don't follow ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, and we can also um, try to uh, see our children in the way that we know they can become. So if children, let's say, have a certain trait, let's say someone is a scatterbrain a bit, they lose stuff, mm -hmm. we can help them overcome that challenge by uh, noticing every time that they do something that's counter role. So if they, f they think about looking uh, at the lost and found box and found their hat, we can underline that and say, oh, you found your hat, you lost your hat and you found it. Good job. And, and the child starts to see himself in a different light. Uh, and and we can also become a storehouse for their for their good uh, for their past success. So let's say um, a child comes in and says, "It's it's really harder for me to follow rules. I'm really not good." Okay, uh, that's very heartbreaking. And but we can say something like, "It is hard to learn stuff sometimes." Um, but someone who can learn to to tie, someone who learned to tie his shoes in a, in just one day, 
can also learn to follow other rules or something like that. You know, you, 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 as a parent, we're privileged to have seen all the successes that children have, have had in the past. So they, they learn to eat, they learn to walk, they learn to dress themselves. And we can remind children of these successes when they feel that a bit discouraged about the fact that they have trouble learning other things. Mm. Something I find um, sometimes challenging is when I feel like they've learnt something and then they stop doing it for some reason when requested. Any ideas on those sort of circumstances? Well, I think at this point I would ask them why. Yeah. <laughs> I would ask is there something that's harder for you to do uh, you can point out or give the information um, this is something that you've been doing on your own and it was or point out how uh, easily uh, how more easy it was uh, when he was doing it and is there a reason why uh, it's harder now uh, to do and if there is no good reason they can then you can move on to uh, is there a way uh, that I can help you to re, re- Uh, re-instore this habit that you had started and that worked well. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. And, and you can use natural consequences. For example, my son sort of stopped getting himself dressed, even though he could do it. But something that seems to have worked is saying, I've got to cook breakfast and I've got to get you dressed. So if you were to get dressed while I'm cooking breakfast, then I'll have more time to, to play with you or do what you want. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's a natural consequence. If I have to uh, help you dress and cook breakfast, I have no more time at the end. Yeah. Um, exactly, exactly. And and these, I must say that these, all these different ways of being are not magic. <laughs> you no. know, the children will not become um, uh, obedient in a in a, a single moment. But but it makes a big difference the way we listen. And I think when children are used to the fact that if we say that something is important, if we say something like this is not a choice and that we enforce the rule, they get used to the fact that uh, even if they, even they, they uh, become defiant, it won't change the fact that the rule will be enforced. So they kind of stop trying after a while. And, and if you listen to them uh, with full attention, they actually don't, you know, children are like us in the way that they want to form a nice relationship with us. They love us. And, and I think if they feel loved in return, that's when the cooperation can, can start. And, and so you create an, an atmosphere of collaboration instead of, of always fighting for who's in control of the situation. Yeah. And I think that the way you parent repeatedly would probably determine how they react. Like I'm thinking about when, um, like the taking away the pen example. We have in the past got frustrated and gone, okay, the pen's gone, you know, and, and that's sort of a punitive response. And so if we were to try to enact the, we're taking it away until we trust you again, until that trust is restored, um, it would have the same reaction as if we were punishing them, um, with the big meltdown over not having the pen again. But once you repeat it many times and they realize that the, they'll get the pen back once they agree to this sort of behavior that it's acceptable, that they wouldn't react as strongly. 
Exactly. It kind of gives them more control because you give them two options of acceptable behaviors. You can say you can either draw on this piece of paper with the pen or you can lose the privilege to have the pen. Mm. And then they have the choice of two. Uh, well, the losing privilege is not really an option, but we can say you can draw with this these pens, let's say, uh, on the, the drawing or, or you can play with something else. Mm. And that's two options. Uh, acceptable options and so it's it's true that they they do know that they have to comply though it's and they do sometimes will cry you know and but but parents are not um shouldn't aim for their child to be uh in a good mood all the time parents are responsible for their child's character and sometimes no is a loving response Mm. and and they need to um to learn what's acceptable and what's not acceptable because there is a real world out there and we are there to teach them um, the values and the the habits that will help them function later on. Mm. So if we don't teach them anything because we don't want them to cry, uh, and then they're going to go out in the real world and there's a lot of skills that they will not have developed and that's when I think we need to look at autonomy and competence at the same time. How can I foster this competence of of respecting others, let's say, in a way that's respectful of the child's individuality, of the child's feelings and uh, and of the child's uh, personality? This interview has really inspired me. I've started reading the book How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, which is the basis for the parenting programs Genevieve and her colleagues are evaluating. I'm reading a chapter a week, role-playing with my husband and practicing the skills throughout the week. I'll let you know how it goes. Please consider doing the same. There's a link to the book in the show notes at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash autonomy2. I'd like to take a moment to thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you on behalf of your children for working towards being the best parent you can be. This is episode 30 and I couldn't have made this many episodes if it weren't for the number of people listening and letting me know that they appreciate my content. A big thank you to the Kachin and SW Dietitian for your lovely reviews. I really appreciate your kind words and your help guiding other parents to these podcasts. If you'd like to leave a review too on iTunes, you can go to www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash iTunes. You'll need to open iTunes on your computer by clicking one of the episodes to leave a review. You can now also become a Practical Research Parenting Patron, which gives you a say in the content and problems I research, and keeps this content coming. You can find more details about that at www.patreon, so that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Practical Research Parenting. Please listen in next time. We'll be talking about using routine charts and some of the risks and alternatives to sticker charts. We look at limit setting for boundary testing behavior and address frequent misbehavior. I'll try to get the next episode out before the break, but just in case I don't, have a wonderful holiday.